0: So I am here, sitting down with Julia Beverly for another episode of It Never Hurts to Ask. Julia, thank you so much for making the time.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: Um, so for people who don't know, Julia is a uh, hip hop journalist, uh, founder of Ozone Magazine. Is that right?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I don't. I don't know. People ask me that all the time. You know, what, so what do you? What do you do? Um, but n- I'm best known for uh, for Ozone Magazine. So I've. I've been in publishing, you know, most of my adult life in one, one way or another. So uh, I did Ozone for eight years. I published Pimp C's biography. Uh, recently worked with Jay Prince on um, publishing his autobiography. Um, so you can look on Amazon for both of those. Uh, both of those books are, are uh, projects I was involved with. And I'm a photographer slash journalist journalist. Uh, Among other things. So I kind of dabble in a little bit of everything.
0: I was was talking with a friend about uh, the Pimp C biography. Um, And I basically, it's so thorough and so well researched and well documented. I basically called you the Doris Kearns Goodwin of hip hop.
1: You know, I, I I have to be honest. I don't catch that reference. But, uh she's uh, a presidential biographer. Okay, yeah, it was. It's it's it might be a little bit much, but I, a lot of people, you know, tell me that they that they appreciated it. I wanted to take a very academic approach to very to uh, a hip hop subject because I didn't think that had really been done, and and that's kind of how I am is very meticulous and detailed with stuff like that. So um, I might have even included like a little too much, you know, detail. Like one one review was like, well, she specified, you know, which hot dog you know which hamburger place he worked at when he was 12 years old or whatever but no you know it, I, I think if you're if you're specific or if you're if you're wrong about a little detail then you might be wrong about everything so yeah you know I try to research everything and make sure that that there's no errors that can be found it was, to, it uh, was super credit the work
0: super thorough I loved it I've been a ugk fan since I was probably 10 or 11 when I first came across him um I felt like I knew everything there was to know about him, reading you know every article, everything you can come across, and then I came across your book, mm-hmm. and I felt like I didn't know him at all.
1: Yeah, there was a lot. Uh, I mean, there's a lot that I learned um, d- definitely during the research for the book, and uh, I'm glad I was able to to kind of discover some new facts. And it's you know it's not a uh, it's not a rehashed Wikipedia entry, which I, I feel like sometimes when I read about some artists, you know, it's it's kind of just a
0: the same old, same old.
1: Yeah, like stuff that you know, would know already. But yeah. Uh,
0: what were a couple things you learned about Pimp C and UGK that you didn't know? Because I figure you're a little bit more plugged in even than I was before.
1: Well, I mean, not really. I was I was not into the hip hop industry at all, really, until early 2002, 2003. So by that time, you know, UGK's like impact had kind of already been made, and you know, Pimp was in prison. So I, I kind of came into it a little bit late. Like when I when I first met Pimp, he was in prison, and I interviewed him. For ozone, but I really didn't have a, a a sense of like why he was so revered. Because everybody I talked to, you know, who had a little more uh, seniority in the game was just you know this guy is you know they, just the way they talked about him. I'm like, so what you know what's what's the deal with this guy? Like, why is everybody so you know so you intrigued by him? You so. weren't
0: even would you consider yourself a UGK a Pimp C fan now?
1: Oh yeah, now for okay. sure. But um, they weren't on my radar. You know, I grew up in Florida. I didn't even get into hip hop till middle you know mid mid high school years yeah so um and and i don't think i ever came across ugk back then you know i was more um you know there was a lot of stuff coming out of miami the bass music luke and all um, that. outcast definitely tupac you know that was the kind of stuff that was like kind of on my radar but i didn't really get introduced to ugk till i was actually doing ozone and so um a lot of the stuff was new to me but i, I felt like you know his mom kind of added a whole other dimension to it so we weren't just talking about the music anymore but talking about you know just his uh, mental health struggles and and the things that he dealt with that are are not usually openly discussed you know a lot of artists are not open about their you know depression or he actually was bipolar and you know his mom kind of summed it up in saying that you know these mental health issues that he had she felt like that was a uh I forget the way she phrased it but you know it was his his best friend and his worst enemy or something like yeah. that. So
0: Well, and one of the neat things in the book that I kind of picked up were, and you could tell me if this was conscious or not, was you would talk about Chad and you'd talk about Pimp C. And it almost seemed like when you were doing that, Pimp C was one guy and Chad was the other persona. At least and that's that, almost well, how that was, I was. it. It was
1: actually it. deliberate. Um And I actually, I, I went through and like changed some of the references because I couldn't figure out what to refer to him as throughout the book because you do have these moments where he's when he's just talking to his mom and he's at home and he's just Chad or then yeah. you have the moments with, like when he's on stage and he's, you know, cussing somebody out with a mic, you know, he's he's pimp C. And so as a writer, I was like, how do I you know, what's the appropriate way to refer to him throughout the book? So I actually would go through and say, OK, in this paragraph, he's. He's, you know, in character. He's on stage. He's, you know, yelling at somebody. He's mad about something. He's Pimpsey, you know. Um, not to say that Pimpsey was mad all the time, but you know the right. the over the top, you know, um, character that he played. He was he was being Pimpsey, but um, he also had a very kind of mellow, you know, um, well, yeah, I, side to him. When when he was just being Chad, he was like a different person.
0: Yeah, and that was one of the things I really appreciated in the book was everybody sees that pimpsy persona on Mm -hmm. stage and then the guy kind of chad seemed like just a really sweet Mm -hmm. genuine kind-hearted giving guy
1: yeah that's what i got from him i mean when i first met him you know i just had heard all these like stories about him and people were kind of like oh you're going to interview pimp like oh you know like it was going to be just like crazy like he was crazy or it was going to be drama or something like that and he was Totally not at all. You know what I would have expected? Just you know, really, really quiet. You know, introspective. Like that's what I got from him was that he was just like really a good person. And uh, we had a lot of mutual friends. I I think we had exchanged some letters like prior to me actually coming. And so I had sent him like a packet of, you know, some Ozone magazines before we did the interview. So I think he was surprised, like, oh, here's this white girl who's like running this hip hop magazine or whatever. So I think, I think it was a mutual kind of like trying to you know feel each other out or whatever. And um we just became friends after that and and then when he, once he got out you know he, he called me to come do an interview with him do a photo shoot um and even looking back i kind of i was kind of like chiding myself like maybe i missed some some cues like there was actually i would be going through like old interviews where he was like uh, you know once we were done with the interview he would be asking me you know if i was interested in like basically managing him or you know putting a tour together like he was kind of throwing a lot of things like opportunities at me like you know why don't you help me you know organize this tour with all these like Houston rappers and um and stuff like that like i was interested but it never you know maybe i was distracted with other things or i didn't really pursue it but uh you know once once i look back on it i'm like he was he was really like giving a lot of you know opportunities bringing a lot of opportunities my way
0: well and in- that brings me to something I wanted to you touched on it just a a second ago being a white girl in Mm hip-hop running a magazine like that one how did you because you said you got into hip-hop late how did you get into hip-hop and then how did you kind of ingratiate yourself and ingrain yourself in that culture being kind of a white girl from Florida like you look at you don't look like somebody you would expect to see Hanging well, I mean, out with Jay I, Prince and Drake and all that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I like that. I like to be the. I like to be a little different, you know, and kind of kind of stand out. But um, well, was it I, harder
0: for you to keep, kind of break into the scene and gain people's trust and gain that access?
1: I mean, I always say I always say yes and no because, in a sense, in a sense, you know, you you definitely are treated differently. But it also made me. I think it just made me stand out because, especially like very early in you know my, my career when I was building Ozone. I would just go, I was on the road like constantly, like, you know, people would be like, you're like a rapper, like you have like a rap schedule, you know, I would just, any show, like big event, radio show, you know, tour, date, anything that was coming through, you know, Miami, Atlanta, um, you know, Tallahassee, Tampa, I was all over anywhere in Florida, you know, Georgia, Mississippi, Alabama, like anything that was going on, I would I would just drive there, you know, and um, so the artists started and I would be the only person like it's it's crazy now to me because I I really love photography I love to shoot events but now when I go to events I mean there's there's literally forty people with cameras everybody's got yeah. their phone out everybody everybody's a photographer now and so I mean back when I was doing it in the beginning you know I I would be the only person and so I would go to these shows like I remember seeing like a like probably one of Plies' first shows when his first mixtape would come out and so you have a club of like two thousand people and everybody's just yelling. Every single word, every song, and I was the only I was the only media person there. I'd be the only person there with the camera, and I would I was just kind of like wondering where is everybody else? Like, there's other publications, there's other media outlets, but they're not even like this is not even on their radar, and so I felt like there was a void there that I could you know fill. So I think the artist just because I was traveling so much and doing all these shows, like at a certain point, you know, I I, I don't think I can pinpoint like where I originally met a lot of the artists that I became cool with, like a, you know, a little John or Rick Ross, it was just, I would be at every event, or they would, you know, they'd go do a radio show in Orlando, and then a week later, they see me, like, in some other state, and they're, they're like, who is this white girl with, with a camera that I see at every show, you know, and I would, um, I started out, like, like, giving people stuff, so, like a magazine, or, you know, I might take a, take a photo of them on stage and blow it up to an 8x10 and bring it to their next show and give it to them. Cause I figure, you know, once an artist is in a certain position, it's like there's constantly people coming at you from all directions, wanting things from you. So it's a little different to have somebody be like, hey, you know, let me
0: give you, let something. me give you this. Yeah.
1: And I mean, of course, I'm trying to, you know, eventually like build some type of relationship, but I'm not asking them like for anything. It's just here, you know, you may enjoy this. So um, that's how I I just built relationships with a lot of people just by going to different events, giving out magazines, taking pictures, and um, so I, I think that you know the fact that I visually like i'm the only white person in the club you know i would be in like some really you know some really like hood clubs and people would be like who are you like who are you why are you here with the camera so you know it, it it put me on the radar of a lot of uh a lot of the artists and so in that sense you know it was it was helpful to be able to kind of stand out from the crowd but uh you know then then you also have to back it up with you my know, photos some, some are credibility dope. yeah I've you have to back it up with you know hey i'm not i'm not uh You know, I'm not just uh, somebody who works in an office eight to five and and writes a magazine. Like I'm actually living it. You know, I'm 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 out here hustling and working just like you are. So I think that um, most of the artists, like I I got the sense that they really respected that because, you know, there's there's other hip hop journalists or maybe not hip hop journalists, but there's other you know they would they would have maybe other writers come interview them for the local paper or whatever. But these are people who they work in eight to five and they sit in their office and you know type up their story whatever and they, they may not understand the life where i always felt sort of a, a, a camaraderie like we're you know i'm doing the same thing you are like you're out here on the road trying to make money trying to you know build a buzz build a fan base and I'm, I'm doing the same thing working the same hours and you know putting in that same grind so that was the that was the feedback i got from a lot of the artists like oh you're really out here doing it
0: would you so you you met pimp c when he was in jail then you guys started you would write articles and Did you kind of become his friend after he got out of prison? Would you say you guys reached that friendship level?
1: Yeah, I would say so. I mean, but it was always based on a on a mutual
0: a professional friendship.
1: Well, he was somebody who was he was very you know legendary and um, well respected, and but at the same time, like he had been gone for four years, and so you know you had a new generation coming up who maybe wasn't as familiar with like who he was or the impact that he had had or. You know, you had uh, this explosion where you had the Mike Jones and Slim Thug and Paul Wall and and you know all these new artists that were um, coming out around around the time that he got out, and so he kind of he needed a somebody like a like me like a Ozone or or something to kind of you know reach that new generation and kind of like reestablish him as as somebody that's still like current and still relevant and not just a you know a legend or OG. And then we needed you know that we needed him as a uh, a respected voice as well so he started um, doing columns for us like I, I think I don't remember if that was his idea or, or mine but you know he became one of like I had a, a, a good relationship with a lot of artists who were kind of like a like a pitbull or Rick Ross or th- these were guys who just they were just always available like if something you know some something fell through last minute and I needed somebody to give me a, you know, interview about this or, you know, we needed to to fill this section of the magazine or I needed you to, you know, come do this show. Like they were just always available and accessible and always willing to work. And so, you know, he was somebody that would just, you know, if he had something to to get off his chest, he would call me and say, hey, can we do a, you know, can we do a column in the magazine? So he started doing a monthly uh, column, which was really just, he would just call me when he you know had something to rant about and I would just type it up and he
0: and, often seemed like he had stuff to rant about he
1: he did he did <laughs> yeah um yeah he would i would get some some interesting calls that like i mean it'd be like four or five in the morning he would call you know and you just never knew what he was you know what he was gonna uh go off about but uh yeah i I miss pimp he was he was a character but uh i you know we didn't we didn't, he was out for maybe two years i think before he actually had passed so I, I don't know we never got to like a we weren't like us, you know, best friends on a personal right. level or anything like that. It was always a kind of a mutually respectful, you know, working relationship, but I w- yeah, I would consider him a friend and um so when he passed, you know, it was it was abrupt and I just felt like it was kind of the end of a of an era maybe or yeah. you know, there was you could kind of feel the 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 air deflated out of the the movement of, you know, southern rap. And so um eventually I I had talked to his Mom about the idea, and it was funny because I I went to meet his mom in in Port Arthur. We went out to eat, and um I was going to present her, you know, with this idea. And I was kind of like nervous about it, and had this whole like spiel about why we should do this book or whatever. And you know, within the first like when I said, "Hey, I'm you know I'm thinking about doing a book," she was just like, "Oh, I'm you know let's 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 do it." And she started telling me stories about when he was you know oh when he was nine years old, he had this drum machine and this is the shirt he had on, and this is what he said. Like she had a very vivid recollection of a, a lot of the things.
0: That was one of the huge takeaways from that book no. was well, one. I don't do you it, Does that book even work without Mama West?
1: No, I don't think so. I mean, there were, there were a lot of people I interviewed who, first of all, I, w- I wouldn't have known to interview them, but there was a lot of people who would, you know, I would call to try to set up an interview and then they would call Mama West and say, is it okay for me to talk to her? And then they'd call me back and, yeah. and do it. So yeah, a lot of people, you know, were, would not have even participated if not for her, you know, kind of co-signing it, but she was crucial definitely to putting together the whole, you know, his, his whole life. And not only was she his mom, but she was actually the group's manager yeah. um, for a long time. So she was also extremely active. You know, she was actually for a while, she was like on the road with them. She was basically
0: like the money man. She, she was, was the road in, manager. Yeah. yeah.
1: She was uh, And big gift. Talked about that from Goody Mob. He was like, man, that was so crazy. You know, like in the nineties, he would just, they were on a lot of shows together, Goody Mob and UGK. And he was like, you know, his mom would be the one, you know, pulling up in the, the the SUV or whatever, you know, going in the club and getting the back end, and so you know, I, I can't think of anybody else's mom who's actually like in the rap game. I I don't know of anybody else's mom who's who's really no. That and role. she so, was, to,
0: from what I took away from the book, she was. It sounded like she was a super sweet woman, but also could be the hardest bitch you could ever cross
1: yeah i mean but I, I, in going back you know back then it was so different now like, because I, I deal with artist bookings too so i have a lot of insight now into like you know what they're charging like club dates and stuff like that back then they weren't making you know they, they weren't making money like that and like she would her contracts you know she would have some contracts where like it would be something um handwritten on it like you know we'll charge you this much you know and this much for travel but you know Um, maybe we can do a little less, you know, if you don't, we'll see how your show turns out type of thing, you know, like she was very, like very flexible with these promoters. And, you know, the promoters that I talked to were like, you know, every time I brought UGK, I make money. So I'm going to keep bringing them back, you know? And it's, it's a different mentality now. Like artists today is like, let's hit the promoter over the head. Let's get as much money as we can get, you know, but the promoters don't win. So if the promoters don't make money... They're not going to keep bringing you back over and over again. So, right. you know, I see a very different mentality, like with the, you know, the UGKs back then. Even like then, they a,
0: seem to have kind of a long term, like a long play, like long game in mind. They do
1: have a long. I mean, Scarface, you know, Too Short. Um, I just saw them, you know, their show a couple nights ago. I'm trying to think who else was on there: Trick Daddy and Trina. You know, artists like that, like they're in my, from my perspective, like they're reasonably priced, and so that's why they've been working for you know 15 20 30 years whereas you know if you if you just hit promoters over the head and charge them as much as you could possibly get when you have a hot single like how long is that really going to last you know you're not going to have a 20 or 30 year career so um i guess we're kind of getting off topic but <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah my, mama west was uh yeah she could be a, a i think if she if she didn't like somebody then you definitely were going to like get a, a different side of her but she was you know definitely a, a, a sweet southern you know, lady, she would, she, I would go to her house, you know, and do these interviews, and she would just cook dinner for me and all that. So.
0: Stop me if this isn't something you wanted to to discuss, but um, the the book was totally blessed by Mama West. Mm-hmm. Pimsy's widow, Shannara, was not on board, said quite a few things about the book, but I also understood from the book that Mama West wasn't fan of shanara that much either at least
1: this is what happened i um i originally the first person i talked to about the book was bun and i think i actually wrote about this but uh you know i knew there was a little i knew there was a little tension between um pimp's mom and his wife and so bun kind of gave me his blessing but i, th- I think he kind of expressed that it would be difficult to get everybody's blessing so and i talked to shanara uh, which was his wife And she gave me, she gave me her blessing as well. And she was gonna be a part of the project and you know, have a percentage of it and all that. And um, I sent her over, well, you know, I'm not gonna get into all like I sent her over some paperwork, you know, and stuff like that and just, she never, I never heard from her again, basically. So, you know, in in my mind, we, we sat down and had a conversation. So, you know, if we discuss some business, we sit down and have a conversation, we agree on something, i send you paperwork which is what we agreed on and i never hear from you again like it's you know it's kind of disrespectful like if you decided that you don't want to do the project then you know that's fine but uh while that was you know happening i talked to mama west and the more that i um started talking to his mom and i i have really understood her perspective of why she had these issues with his wife and a lot of it i mean a lot of it's financial you know her uh I broke it down in the book, you know, where all the money went when he passed, yeah. you know, he had two older sons, uh, who, which were not with his wife. And so, you know, her relationship with them is pretty much non-existent the way I understand it. And, uh, her, his older son actually had to sue her to get her I was r- I out read of, about that, you, you know, know, to, to, uh, get control of the estate because all the, you know, all publishing money, anything that was generated for Pimp C, they, they weren't, the kids weren't getting any of that. So, um. I understood, you know, the more that I spent time with Mama West and she broke down, like what was really going on, then I understood, and I was like, you know, it's probably better that she's she's not a part of this project because I wouldn't be able to be as honest as I as I was, you know, I wouldn't be able to lay out all the facts. Probably she probably wouldn't want to, you know, have that uh, in the book, yeah. <laughs> you know, if you <laughs> if you uh, mismanage the money, which and, and that's something that's that's not just me saying that. That's you know factually backed up in, in court records and stuff like that. So you know if you ma- if you mismanage money i don't think you would want this incredibly detailed you know book coming out because you don't want that information out there and that so. seemed
0: to be a theme through especially the earlier's a lot of probably the first what f- I'd say, what, six to eight years was just financial mismanagement after bad it, manager, it, after...
1: They definitely made some really questionable decisions with their the, the management that they had. Um, I mean, and, and Mama West would say, you know, she said, look, me, I, I'm not good at math. Pimp, he's not good at math. <laughs> you know, that wasn't their, that wasn't his strong point, um, the business side of things. And so they did have, you know, there was a couple um, management you know, situations early on in their career where they were really taken advantage of. I mean, it was there was some really outrageous stuff I came across. I mean, his, his mom had told me about, uh, like, for example, even with Jive Records, like, he was kind of at war with Jive Records. And so out of the blue, she tells me, you know, you get your, your 1099 at the end of January. They have to go out before January 31st, which is basically reporting, you know, record label reports to the IRS, hey, we paid these guys X amount of dollars. Right. So out of the blue, like in the middle of the year or something, you know, it, it, she told me this story, and then I actually was able to find the actual, like, IRS documents and stuff to back it up. But uh, out of the blue, he gets a, a 1099 in the middle of the year saying that he he had received, like, I like $14 million or something. I don't remember what the actual figure was, but, like, something just way beyond what... Yeah, they got what, a tax
0: bill for, like, $7.5 million or, right, or something, yeah, right? Yeah. What,
1: yeah, whatever Jive whatever reported that they had paid him... It, the IRS came knocking and said, we want our 7 million. So yeah. out of this like fictitious, you know, income. And so it took him years to even get that cleared up. The, the guy that they hired to clear up the IRS situation actually was a, a crook who had a, a fraud case before yeah, pocketed <laughs> the money. You know, it was, it was a lot of, yeah, there was, there was a lot of like financial mismanagement, you know, throughout their career. And, um, they, I don't think they ever really, you know, got a lot of that straightened out. Um, probably could have went, you know, UGK probably could have been even bigger than what they were if they had, you know, proper, proper management situation.
0: Yeah. And, yeah, and Jive didn't really seem to appreciate what they had with UGK. They seemed to... Mm-hmm.
1: Well, they probably did appreciate it, but they, you know, they were selling, like, like Pimp's attitude was like, look, they don't do any promotion, no ads. We put out and Dirty. We sell, you know, half a million records. I mean, they're, they're obviously making, you know, profit off of it. So, why would they spend all this money when it's already selling? So that was kind of his attitude. But uh.
0: And one of the things was I I took away repeatedly in the book was pimp was a real pain in the ass to work with at times.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I, I didn't get that from him, but, um, well, I, I wouldn't say never, but, you know, he could be, he would say, okay, let's do an interview. I'm going to call you at, you know, 10 p.m. And then it would end up happening at like four in the morning. You know, that was pretty standard, but that's, that's a rapper. Like, you mentioned well. You mentioned your that, book, but, like
0: certain people at Jive didn't even want to have to call him because they knew he would just yeah, scream was, and throw a fit on the phone.
1: Yeah, there was definitely. um I mean, even later, like his publicist talked about how you know if he just if he didn't really like somebody or if he just felt like being difficult. I mean, he he kind of felt like a lot. What a lot of people told me was that he kind of felt like he had a like kind of this persona to live up to. You know, he was sort of not a not quite a diva. That's not quite the right word, but you know, he was. Uh, He's a star, you know, and and, and uh, if you're a if you're a, a polite, well-mannered person who arrives on time for everything, you know that's you're, that's not a superstar. I mean, it's Ooh, just, ba- basically, you, Bun is that way bun to is, a degree. Exactly, and so Bun is you know Bun is cool and, and and chill and laid back, but you know the pimp was the the star of the group, you know, as far as like the the charisma and the yep. you know no no diss to Bun or anything, you know. But
0: are you, are you in Bun still? close do you work with him much
1: um yeah i mean we were um we were always in good terms as far as i'm concerned you know i think that the you know the book definitely put him in a in an awkward position i guess because he he wants to maintain of course his relationships you know him him kind of being in the middle of things with with shanara and with mama west and um yeah so i i don't know you'd have to ask him but as far as i'm concerned you know everything's everything's good on, on my end but I think Bun understood that in order to properly do the book you know I mean he's an extremely intelligent you know guy so I, I think he knew from the beginning like looking back on our early conversations like he knew that there was going to be difficult things that that would need to be you know talked about and um discussed in the book and so I think he, he he understood that I would have to be kind of a you know as a journalist you have to kind of be objective and and uh you know remove your feelings from it and just say this you know this is what happened this is Right. Side and I I
0: don't remember if, because I've read anything I can get my hands on with UGK, I tend to read it. So I can't remember if this was the book or a, a separate article I read. But I've read that Pimp would often start conflicts, start beefs. But Bun was always the diplomatic one trying to kind of come in after the fact and smooth things over and, and kind of play peacemaker with everybody.
1: Yeah, I mean, that was something I think Mama West talked about, that they actually, they had sort of like a good cop, bad cop. Or yeah. I guess bad cop good cop <laughs> situation going on. Like when if they wanted something from Jive, you know their approach would be kind of you know Pimp would just throw a fit and be cussing at everybody and you know oh, we need you know we need this much money or we need this, and people didn't want to deal with him. And then you had Bun would come in and you know clearly articulate basically asking for the same thing that Pimp was just yelling about. And they were like, okay, well we'll, we'll deal with this guy. You know we can. Yeah. So that was their approach and uh, yeah.
0: Awesome. Um, so, on a more personal level with with Pimp, I was wondering, what's the happiest you ever got to see Pimp see?
1: Hmm. I mean, I think you know, it was definitely a a happy time when he when he came out and he had he had so much love. Like he had. I mean, the first early month or two that I remember him being home, like he was shooting a lot of videos. So he did the Ti. Uh, the front back remix video that was a fun day um he came out to Miami and did a video with um T-Pain um we went to Milwaukee I think for something Pimp and Ken was doing I mean I always had fun just you know he would he would like bring whoever he wanted to kind of bring into his circle or whatever he would let you ride around in his Bentley and he would just play whatever he was working on so you know he would uh he was probably happiest when he was like kind of debuting, you know, music for you. Like he'd have something that was kind of in progress or whatever. And he would, I think he was riding around for his own benefit to kind of hear how it sounded or, you know, maybe things that he wanted to tweak. But he would kind of give, you know, somebody like me or, or other, you know, journalists or friends or whatever, he would kind of give them that opportunity to to see the work in progress and... Um, I remember when he first got that Bentley, and I, I I wrote about it in the book, I think. But I was in the back seat, like eating. They brought me like a plate of rice or something. And I like dropped food on the <laughs> on the leather seat, and I was like panicking, like, "Oh my gosh, let me get this up. I don't want to, you know, spoil his uh, leather back seat." No, you weren't Bentley there with
0: him. the the crash, though, were you?
1: No, I wasn't there when the crash happened. That was that was a crazy story, you know. Just researching the book, I kept coming across all these like little sub, you know, side stories that I kind of. And went you'd break yet. off in whole
0: chapters that felt almost just completely tangent- tangential.
1: I, I tried not to do that. There was there was actually three chapters I think that I cut completely because I was like, this is way too far left. But I did leave the 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 Jay Prince chapter because I yeah. felt like it kind of set the stage for like what was going on in Houston with Rapp alot went at the time when Pimp went to prison I think that played played a part but yeah the car crash was actually it really had nothing to do with Pimp there was a there was a guy who had it was some kind of gang like situation two guys who had an issue with each other and one of them saw the other guy in traffic and so there was like this car chase happening where one guy was was he was like a I think he had, had like 10 felonies or something he was like a career you know just <laughs> Had caused all kinds of problems, but he was chasing after somebody, and Pimp happened to be leaving his video shoot as this was happening. The guy runs the red light, or somebody was shooting so, at him. No, he was shooting. The guy chasing was shooting at the other car, and so the other car ran the red light oh. and hit Pimp. See, was and some, I always thought it was like a police chase.
0: No, it wasn't a police oh, okay. chase. It was, it was okay. a
1: guy. Sh- there was gunshots and everything. Um, I don't think anyone... Was was injured outside of like the the car accident, but his his bodyguard I think had some some injuries from that. But yeah, that was uh that was in Port Arthur that, that happened.
0: Um, so have you stop him? See, what's the maddest? Is do you have one story like where you per- not that you heard about, but you personally interacted with Pimp, where he just really flew off the handle and you were you really took note of it?
1: I mean, the only thing you know, he um. The the infamous interview where he kind of addressed, you know he he was talking about Jeezy, I guess, but I he didn't say that, you know, at the time. But when he was kind of going off about the whole BMF situation and um I guess that was probably the he was he was yelling about everything at that time. Um but no, I mean most of the time I interacted with him he was very like he was very like chill and, and, and but he would fly into that, you know, pimpsy um kind of persona well i i do remember when they did uh they were supposed to do a big reunion concert at um a, i think it was at barrio or something that might have been the name of the club in houston but um they were supposed to have a big reunion concert during it was either all-star might have been all-star weekend it was a big weekend in, in houston and uh there was a fight that broke out in the crowd, or for some reason, like, the club was shutting down early, and so they didn't actually get to take the stage, and so he had been, I was actually backstage with them, and um, so I had been seeing him, like, just the preparation that he put into the, you know, he had a whole vision for the the look, and, um, you know, he had, like, the main code, and they, they had very, like, he had a certain way he wanted to present himself, and then he had been stressing with the the um, you know sound engineer and like going over you know how he wanted the sound to be and he was like very meticulous about you know how he wanted to to present the group so having seen kind of the preparation he was putting in backstage and then for them to be like okay we're shutting the club down you know he was really um, he was really upset at that at that point so I think there there's pictures of him like he uh, he did come out on the stage and he kept tapping the mic which wasn't on <laughs> so you have all these pictures that uh, have circulated where he's just looking really upset and he's like tapping this mic which never came on so the, the show never happened they actually ended up performing at the ozone awards i think was the first time they ended up uh, coming back together after he came out so and that was sort of organic we didn't actually know if that was going to happen so
0: i heard a story about pimp from uh, a friend who was in a small-time rap group in dallas they were opening for ugk one night and uh i guess ugk was on stage and they had let a couple girls from the The crowd up on stage to dance around, and some girl was drunk, Mm. acting a fool. And she, Pimp was in his full mink coat, and she was dancing around, trying to get too close to Pimp. Her drink is sloshing around. I
1: think I know where this is going. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And I, I, and Pimp's got his drink. And at some point, I've never heard exactly if the drink got on the mink or if it splashed on his shoes or near Pimp, Mm. but he basically said, Stop the show, turn to the girl, took his drink, just dumped it over her head, and said, you don't spill a drink on my coat. Get the fuck off my stage.
1: That sounds like a bit. That was probably in the 90s. I mean, from from what a lot of people said, you know, like in the late 90s prior to him going to jail, like he was he was pretty wild and he was, you know, there was drug use involved and so he was kind of like just on the verge of being out of control. You know, that was yeah. that was the way a lot of uh, his friends around that time described him, which I never saw that um side of him really you it know, seemed like
0: the, prison mellowed him out maybe what maybe not prisoner but growing up yeah, while or, he was in prison but
1: and then also you know sobering up and, and right. kind of um having that time to reflect so yeah it seemed like he went through a, a transition you know during that time so.
0: um a couple personal C ugk questions for you um do you have a favorite ugk song
1: um Okay. Uh, UGK or, or pimp or just
0: you can pimp. tell me one of each if you want.
1: I probably say one day. I like I would like one day or or uh, quit hating the south was was a, another record I like. But I have a whole I have a whole list of you know I found a lot of obs- obscure like UGK records that I that I liked even in the process of of interviewing. There's actually a whole discography that uh, that I put together. So that
0: was that's one of my other questions is and you mentioned tracks that got dropped from super tight and from riding dirty Mm -hmm. and just various other unreleased tracks do you have access to do you still have them like
1: i have some of them yeah
0: in yours do you have you listened to have you listened to most of their stuff or
1: yeah um i mean there was a couple tracks i think it was off of super tight that got dropped that, that really were probably would have been hits but they had different samples and things that couldn't be cleared but um yeah i've i've heard a lot of the unreleased stuff and i mean his his real early stuff like from high school is is really interesting you know to to see like how much he grew but you could still even though it was so amateur and and so early like you could still kind of hear that he had you know something yeah and um well his mom told me that he would just he was like well i i i can't he didn't consider himself a good rapper so he was like i just have to say crazy stuff to you know that he felt like that was his uh that's how he was going to get people's attention so you know, he kind of some of his early stuff is kind of he actually mentions in one of his tracks. Like he's he's uh, he said something about too short, like that he felt like people were going to compare him or say he was trying to to kind of be, you know, explicit or just for shock value. And um, that was kind of like some of his early high school stuff is very, you know.
0: Have you ever seen the uh, the bit that Hannibal Burris did about pregnant pussy? He had a whole. I think so. Yeah. He had a whole bit. Yeah. He did about it, and brought bun on stage for it.
1: I didn't I I didn't see that clip with, with Bun coming out, but I think I've heard yeah, I think I, I think I know what you're I just referring to made
0: me think about some of his unreleased stuff. Um did you get to hear you mentioned in the book that Bun did like a ninety minute freestyle after the OJ verdict or during the OJ trial. Did yeah, you ever get to hear I haven't,
1: that? Um I haven't heard that. I I think that uh I think it exists. I wanna say I that think you said I wanna m- say that somebody's probably Bird still has it, but no, I haven't heard that. I think that, in the book uh, you said
0: Mitchell still has it?
1: Maybe, maybe. I think. Yeah, I mean, Mitch was kind of the early, you know, historian. He was the original, you know, Pimp's original partner in in UGK. He came up with the name. And uh, he actually hit me up recently. He has an album out now, which is on on iTunes. But Mitch was also uh, very, um, I don't know what the word is, but he's kind of a historian. You know, some people I think are just kind of wired that way to like want to document stuff. I know I'm like that. Yeah. So, you know, he was some he was the one who would, you know, keep all the early photos and the, the first logo that they had and the early mixtapes and that kind of stuff, you know, whereas other people, you know, Pimp wasn't necessarily as meticulous about, like, saving that kind of stuff, you know?
0: Right. Um, speaking of UGK's collection, the documenting and saving that history, mm-hmm. um, Hurricane Harvey hit I've heard, I read rumors online that the whole kind of UGK vault almost was wiped out. Did you ever Uh, find out what uh, that was about or if that's true?
1: I don't know how, I don't know how true that was, but it is true that, that, um, that the house that was Mama West house was flooded pretty badly. And, uh, I don't know what, um, I don't know if anything was able to be salvaged from there. Now, I don't know what was in there. Um, but I, I did, you know, I did, um, save a lot of that material as far as like scans and stuff, which you see in the book. I love some of the stuff Pimp wrote while he was in prison. Cause he, you would see that he would get these like um, flashes of inspiration or he would hear a song on the radio and he would just jot down like some part of it that he wanted to sample. And so he would just write on whatever was available. So you have all this stuff he wrote on like his commissary receipt or like his, you know, cards that you send in to get magazine subscriptions or you have, like, an IRS notice about all this money he owes, and he's, like, writing lyrics on it. So, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. I felt like that was really dope to, to be able to have access to that.
0: Um, but the,
1: the short answer is I'm I'm not really you're 100% sure. sure yeah.
0: One of my favorite anecdotes from the book was uh, when, I guess, before Pimp got sentenced, he was in Harris County Jail for a while. Mm-hmm. And he was very generous with the other inmates. He would share his commissary because he had, mm-hmm. you know, money others didn't. But the thing I liked the most was that he would call area strippers, area girls, and schedule visitation for other inmates who didn't mm-hmm. have anybody, just so they could get out of their cell and have somebody visit.
1: Yeah, that was a that was a story that one of his cellmates was was telling me that, um, you know, he they would just have to have someone come visit to get them out of this cell because they were in there for like 23 hours you know it was a it was a county jail so I think they only had an hour out but um yeah he was like you know he would have his friends call you know if he had a girl coming to visit him he'd say hey you know bring bring a couple your your friends with you so you know he would take down numbers if he had if he had somebody a friend in the cell who didn't have a visitor he'd take down their id number or whatever and you know hey tell your girl to you know give him this number and so yeah he was always about you know Trying to, uh, trying to share the love, I guess. But, yeah. But it was funny, you know, he was, um, I don't know why I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the, the, uh, the cellmate's name, but, uh, you know, he was, he was telling me like, you know, it was, they, they would be trying to kind of close the deal as the girl was leaving. You know, Hey, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. going to be getting out next week. Like, you know, can I, Let can I call you number. or something? <laughs> so, you know, to kind of visualize that, you know, see that happening was, was funny.
0: You mentioned, y- uh, Bun's kind of, um, tacit support for the book um have you ever one have you ever thought about releasing it as an audiobook too is there any chance bun would narrate it just because i imagine his voice narrating that would be
1: um i mean it's it's possible that a book uh, audiobook may come out um but I, I have no idea as far as him narrating it i don't know
0: you still fought you, you still do journalism today you still follow the, uh follow acts that are out today um what artist or group kind of reminds you most, or most makes you think about UGK and Pimp C today?
1: Um, I don't know of any group like like UGK. Um, I mean, there there's, there are a few new or newer artists that I that I like. Uh, YBN Cordae has some some something to say, you know. I like some of his stuff. Um, Roddy Rich. Uh, Juice World, that's that's a couple that you know, I guess that I've been been listening to lately. I mean, you, you never want to sound like, you know, a, a lot of people say, well, it's not, you know, music's not like it used to be. Like you don't want to ever be a hater, but it is like different, you know. Yeah. A lot of when I go to, even being here at South by, you know, like going to some of the shows and seeing some of the newer artists, like it's it's definitely a different era, you know. So I don't I don't know of anybody who really is is uh, reminiscent of UGK. I don't know that I
0: could. big crits as close as I can think of. Personally,
1: he's not even a new. I wouldn't even consider him like a new well, artist. Like,
0: but uh, I guess the.
1: And that's how far it's come. Like even yeah. a big crit is, is. Is not new anymore. Is almost like a, like a OG now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a whole new like there's a whole new lineup of, of artists that are that are new today. But uh. Yeah.
0: Do do you do you think with that, new new school that UGK still carries the the influence that it did?
1: I mean there's definitely still the influence is definitely still there and um i mean even pimp you know he outside of ugk like the big timers you know birdman talked about how um that was their ugk was their model when he launched you know big timers with manny fresh you know that whole cash money movement um pimp had some you know impact there i mean no limit like all the early masterpiece stuff like a a lot of the early masterpiece hits were pimp C tracks you know and um he kind of You know he was kind of upset with the way things panned out with master p because he felt like you know i gave you you know break them off and like these these big records that kind of catapult catapulted you and then you know your whole label um he felt like maybe he wasn't you know appreciated for that but you know ti a lot of other people will, will cite you know pimp as being one of their primary inspirations so a lot of the artists today you know they were influenced by artists who were influenced by so, I mean, the, the traces are, are definitely there, but I mean, it does sound, you know, when you listen to UGK stuff now, I mean, it definitely still, you know, the the music is still viable, but it's also like, you know, it, 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 it music relates to like a time in your life. So, you know, the, the stuff that you were associating with in in the nineties or, or in the two thousands or whatever, you're going to associate that with, you know, that time that you were in high school or, you know, the time when you were a young adult struggling in life, like you kind of connect music to those Events and so, I don't want to say it sounds dated, but you know, it is like a like it's classic music now. You know, it's yeah. not it's not new and new and fresh, and the the music has changed and evolved. Whether that's a good or bad thing, you know, who knows? But uh it'll definitely you know UGK music will definitely stand the test of time. You know, it's, oh, it's not sure. not something that's going to be going away.
0: <laughs> um We're we're getting close to to an hour. I know you got South by stuff to attend to. Yeah. I was hoping I could get you to tell the audience. Two stories that I don't know if they might have heard. First, you just kind of touched on it. If you could talk about the Master P incident with Pimp C.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I've I've been asked about it. And and obviously, I have to preface it by saying, like, obviously, I wasn't there. So, you know, anything that I speak on as far as, like, Pimp, when I wasn't there, you know, this is what I what I gathered from other people who were there or that he told about the situation or, but it's ultimately it's still like kind of hearsay. Yeah. But, you know, according to his, according to his mom, his engineer, um, DJ bird, who was like his, you know, went from UGK's DJ to kind of being like his assistant. I think those are the people who are, you know, very close to the situation. But, uh, there had been, um, there had been a couple years of, I don't know if it was a couple years, but there was, there was a, fairly extended time frame where, where Pimp had had some things to say about Master P at at shows he was saying you know fuck no limit fuck master p you he know. called him
0: bastard p for a while
1: yeah you know and um I, I i never was 100% clear on like the root of it but there was there was a dispute over um one of the records i i, I want to say was Break 'Em off but um you know pimp felt like he was owed like master p was either supposed to pay him something or give him some equipment or there was some type of dispute where they were you know disagreeing over um the the compensation for that record and um you know i think more than more so than that i think pimp felt like kind of from from what his mom said you know he felt kind of like disrespected by the way that he had been handled and you know he kind of gave master p these big records and then he was getting kind of like chump change you know for these records and he wasn't getting any you know he wasn't really getting too much exposure off of it or he wasn't like I don't know. He just felt kind of slighted by the way that he was handled, and then then there was an incident with uh, when they were on the road. They were some they were supposed to go on tour together, but he ended up going on tour with with Cash Money, and so Master P felt some kind of way like, oh, you know, you're gonna tour with my. He viewed them kind of as like his competition, right? Um, and so there was an incident where I think Master P had, you know, at least. F- Again, this is what I was told, <laughs> is that uh, Master P had um, tried to pull them off the tour, or tried to get the promoter to pull them off the cash money tour, and then he got into it with Mama West on the phone. She was their manager at the time. And so he said something, you know, he she had him on speakerphone, and he said, you know, he cussed her out, or he said something really disrespectful, and Pimp had just come in the room. So he hears, you know, Master P cussing at his mother, and then that's, that's what ultimately, like, blew the whole situation up because he's furious and he goes on stage at night and says you know fuck master p so this goes on for some period of time where he's saying this stuff at the shows and um he was at a hotel in houston and near where master p was living and either somebody at the hotel called master p or you know pimp had a girl with him that may have called master p or he somehow he they somehow they ended up at the same you know the same hotel so p comes and either, you know, breaks down the door or gets a room key or something happened in that room. And, you know, he didn't, he wouldn't speak on it. But, you know, there were other people who kind of, there's definitely enough people confirmed, like, that it happened, that there was some type of, you know, physical altercation that took place in the room. And, you know, it was kind of a, it was kind of a warning, like, hey, just to let you know, I could, you know, I can, I can get to you, you know, and and, uh, don't say anything else about me, you know, type of thing. So that's, that's the version I heard, you know, P actually, uh, we had, we actually had spoke about it, um, fairly recently and, you know, he's never really, uh, confirmed or denied what actually happened. So I don't know what his, I don't know what his version is, but that's, that's the version I got from, you know, probably a a dozen or more people who were, who were close to pimp at that time. And, but you know, at the end of the day, like it's in the past, but, uh, you know so i think that's why p doesn't really want to address it they had they had ultimately squashed you know their their situation and they were on good terms and we're going to try to work on some stuff together so you know you're you're talking about back in i think this would have happened in, in in 99 or so so we're talking about 20 years ago right you know so there there was some kind of physical altercation that took place and uh but they were able to move past it and and um you know i think i think Pib actually said that you know he he felt like it was a model for other people to follow like hey this was some real beef like if we could squash it you know anybody should be able to yeah
0: because when to get past it pimp got out of jail he kind of looked at the houston landscape with um paul wall and commune are kind of yeah there were a lot beef. of there little, were a little small yeah, things and, going
1: on and, and pimp was like you know we had like real like there was you know
0: and he kind of came out and just kind of uni- you it felt like he kind of unified the city together once yeah and he, he, talk, got out of prison. he talked
1: a lot about how he wanted to bring people together and and uh that was that was his mission at least early on and then he kind of then he started to have issues with different people. So, um, I mean, Pimp was a, you know, he was he was a, a contradiction, you know, as, as most of us are. So, you know, I don't think you can pigeonhole him into just being one thing. He had kind of all these different, you know, sides to him. But to me, he was always, you know, a good friend, a good uh, supporter of every, everything that we were doing, so.
0: Awesome. I got two more questions. I'm going to let you out of here. Right. Um, I really appreciate you sitting down. Uh, I was hoping you could speak to kind of Pimpsey's behavior uh, regarding the Big Pimpin' shoot and his the um, music video and just his kind of demeanor, just because I think it's a great pimpsey story. Yeah, I like mean, ag- a,
1: again, you know, I I wasn't there. This is, you know, based on interviews with other people, but um, he was never um, he, he was never really a fan of Jay-Z, and I, I don't think it was really anything personal against Jay-Z. It was kind of more what he, you know, he represented this sort of New York elitism you know, and um, so Pimp was kind of had had mixed feelings about getting on this record with Jay-Z, like, OK, it's going to make us, you know, cross over into these big, you know, mainstream superstars. But at the same time, he felt like maybe it was uh, um, taking a, a chunk out of their credibility for them to, to go, OK, we're going to do this with the New York artists. You know, he wanted to really stay true to their, you know, country rap tunes like, you know, southern vibe and, you know, he didn't really like the big pimp and track and, you know, a lot of people had to kind of you know, Bun and everybody else in the camp was kind of like, you know, this is a great opportunity. We gotta do this. You know, so he ultimately he did eight eight bars and he's like, that's all you're gonna get, you know, like yeah. <laughs> go ahead and you know, so that's why um Jay Z actually added that that last verse at the end was because Pimp didn't do you really? know the full um I heard this it was because
0: Jay Z was uh kind of Bun B outrapped him, and Jay Z didn't like that. That's what I had heard, and I guess a separate story.
1: Uh, I, I mean, I guess there's some dispute over it, but from what I understood, it was it was basically because the song is not long verse. enough yeah. because Pimp only did half of the verse. And um, so, same thing when they went to film the video, you know, he was being difficult. He didn't want to fly to, he he didn't want to fly over water, but he kind of was just being
0: difficult. I think. Is that really um, what it was? He he had a thing about it.
1: Um. Well, the label felt like he was just being difficult, but his mom said that he he was scared to fly over water, because he had know. never flown that far, and they were filming in, in Trinidad for Carnival. So um, so they filmed, that's why they filmed his part in Miami. And then uh, Gloria Velez was, I guess she was supposed to be Jay-Z's video girl, and Pimp got there first and saw her, and, well, there, there were some other issues. Like, I think when he, when he got to Miami, they, they had him at a separate hotel, and it was a nice hotel, but, so it he wasn't Jay Z's. Was, he was hotel. like, why am I not at Jay-Z's hotel? You know, so he went over to Jay Z's hotel, you know, and kind of confronted him, and Jay-Z was kind of like, Okay, well, we'll get you a room here. And then he calmed down, like, oh no, we're good. So I think it was more of a respect thing. Like he felt like they were. And he kind also of insisted on
0: having his Mer- his new Mercedes in the video.
1: Yeah, he went through a lot to get that car. <laughs> and um Yeah, he uh well that's in the book. There there's a whole crazy story behind how he uh got the uh got the money to, to buy a brand new Benz that he wanted to have in the video so yeah they drove down him and him and Too Short got in their cars and had a whole caravan driving down from Atlanta to uh to Miami and then he saw um Gloria Velez there and kind of I guess you know snatched her up from Jay-Z oh she's gonna be in in my part you know and they so by the time Jay found out what was going on she was already you know in his scene so they couldn't I guess I can reuse her <laughs> for another scene, but, uh, yeah, it sounded like quite a, quite a uh, crazy video shoot. Awesome. On, on South beach. So.
0: Well, um, are there any other, uh, Pimpsey anecdotes you think the listeners might want to hear? I think they,
1: at this point, I feel like I gave them the whole book. You gotta, <laughs> you gotta go pick up the book. Um, sweet Jones, Pimpsey's True life story. That's the name of the book. It's on Amazon. Um, I also worked with Jay Prince on his autobiography the art and science of respect, uh, which is also on Amazon. So, do you
0: have any other new books on the way?
1: Uh, nothing that I can can confirm. I gotcha. I cannot confirm nor deny, but yeah, I'm always working on different ideas. So, um, and I I, I love um being able to to kind of tell those stories and, and make sure that they're told properly. And so, no, maybe may some more coming. Your works yeah,
0: so. great. Um, you document hip hop history beautifully i i love reading the book i still thank need to get you. on the j prince book <laughs> um do you want to tell everybody your social media where can find um, you? yeah
1: it's uh, julia beverly pretty easy twitter instagram so uh yeah check me out and and i'll be any any new projects i have coming up i'll be posting about it for sure so yeah glad i could catch up with you at south by and uh i'm gonna run off and, and check out some of these some of these uh, artists that are out here for South by Southwest. Awesome.
0: Julia, thanks for sitting down. I really appreciate it. Yeah, for Um, sure. This has been It Never Hurts to Ask. Uh, You can find us on Instagram and uh, Twitter, Podcast Chris. Uh, Thanks for subscribing and hope you enjoyed the episode.